Hey, all you guys and gals out there, it's me, Mark the Movie Man, and it's SPLR Radio. Yes, tonight we got a special Big Four O going on as we discuss the 1976 classic Car Wash. And remember, the spoiler room is for those over 18, so put the kids to bed and turn up the volume as we discuss this interesting film. But I ain't alone in the booth tonight. No, sir. Ladies, stand back. That is a sonic screwdriver in the man's pocket. The one, the only, Doctavius is in his house today. And next to him is the mean man jamma behind the camera. It's Mr. Gondorific himself, the lovely Andrew Shearer. Yes, folks, we are going to talk about this very interesting film. But first, how about we spin a tune? Yes, that's right. It's the main theme to Car Wash. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Things are about to get hot. This is a big special, big four O. Thank you for indulging me in that opening. And I do have Mr. Uh, Gonzerific, lovely Andrew Shearer, and Stephen Doc Waltersdorf in the house. Hello, gentlemen. How you doing tonight, Andrew? Good, man. And thank you for wanting to do a show about the, about car wash. This is really great. I'm excited. Oh, I'm, I'm I am too. Uh, you know, I, it's been a while since I've watched this film, and we we're doing the big four O, and it kind of came up on the on the voting and so I was like hey why not so uh, and uh, yeah this was one of the top choices and I'm glad it was so glad you could join us tonight and Doc how are you sir? I'm doing well I'm moderately disappointed I was wrong I thought uh, the next episode I thought we had a list of episodes we were going to do I didn't realize it was going to be skills that Mark hasn't used in a while talking over records as, as the episode title. <laughs> so. That was a, that was amazing, dude. It was really good. I was like, you timed that very well, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, that was. I didn't have anything written down either, so uh, <laughs> it makes me miss my DJ days. Uh, so, but yes, we are talking about 1976 Car Wash, directed by Michael Schultz, who we just found out while doing a little research, is from the hometown of Milwaukee, my hometown, and where uh, Doc currently resides as well, and he's from there as well, so that's a great little tie there, written by Joel Schumacher, yes, that that's Joel, Joel <laughs> Schumacher. <laughs> Jill Schumacher. And uh, anybody want to give the synopsis? Andrew, would you like to do the honors? Yeah, man. Okay, so Car Wash uh, was a 1976 movie with an awesome soundtrack, and it's just about a day in the life of a bunch of workers at a car wash. Blah, ow. Boom. It's <laughs> true. And, and that is, too. That it's It doesn't try to get 
too deep. It doesn't try to get too complicated. It is just a day in the life at a car wash. And uh, yeah, this cast that they have in here is amazing. It's a very diverse cast. And well, uh, let's just get some initial thoughts on here. Doc, why don't we start with you? Your initial thoughts here with car wash. Remember when you first saw it? Or? Uh, um, no, I don't have a good story remembering the first time I saw it. Um, I'm sure it was on just the television broadcast, and I was probably, I don't remember how young I was. I might have been in my early teens. I at least had two, two digits in my age at that point. But it was something I would have looked for at that point just because uh, I do have an interest in the, the history of comedy and, and, and comedians that I'm familiar with. And there were certainly a lot of them, even at a younger age in this movie, I recognized. And then now going back and looking, there are so many more that I recognize. At the time, it would have been you know Carlin to some degree, uh, Richard Pryor to some degree. I, I probably the most recognizable figure to me at that point would have been Ivan Dixon. Because he was on Hogan's Heroes, and sure. that was something that was still in syndication a lot at the time. Um, it was a World War II property, so it was on a lot in the house because dad, my dad likes to watch. You, know, you live in Milwaukee, your dad watched MASH at the very least. So um, this wasn't too much of a stretch. But over the years, this 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 movie in, in Born in East L.A. kind of came out of that same time period for me where they would just seem to be on just standard TV a lot and I'd get to watch them a lot. And then as time went on, I, I, I got to understand the movies better and I enjoy them a little differently now as an adult than I did as a, as a kid, certainly. But I enjoy this movie. It's a, it's a great movie. Oh, it is uh, definitely, and especially uh, revisiting it. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to, because uh, yeah, when I saw it when I was younger and I don't think you appreciate uh, exactly what's going on in this film, uh, you know, at that age. Uh, but now, as as we are a bit more experienced and a little bit older and wiser, well, maybe not so much wiser, uh, you know, you, you appreciate the storyline and what's going on in here. How about you, Andrew? Uh, your initial thoughts here with Car Wash when you first saw it? Uh, when I first saw, oh wait, hey, can we do an episode on Boarding East LA? Can we do it? That would be great. Do you can like that movie too? <laughs> Man, I freaking I've seen that movie so many times. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm born in no, East LA. I've got I've got crappy Good Times DVDs of both this and and that oh. one. So. Dude, if I could digress for just a second about Born in East LA, Mark, if you'll permit, you can oh, cut this out. Yeah. But like, um, uh, Henrik Kuto's film, uh, completely defective, uh, that's on Amazon Prime. There is a character in the film that he plays that I wrote for him called Rudy based on the character that Cheech Marin plays, and there's a scene where they're doing something to someone, and um, he says, I hope this works the first time, and it's a reference to the tattoo scene in Born <laughs> in East Italy. You, you're going to have like, one listener that knows what I'm talking about, or maybe just somebody on the panel knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, that oh, would make yeah. me happy, man. Mark, you watch it and you decide. You, you make up your mind whether or not you want to do that, but that'd be yeah. something. Anyway, so you can, you can cut here when you're editing if you'd like. Uh, <laughs> let's see car wash I was pissed off when I first saw car wash because the cover had Richard Pryor on it one of the greatest comedians of all time and George Carlin one of the greatest comedians of all time in fact most would consider these two um, maybe the best and um, they're barely in the movie so I was like I was really disappointed the first time but um, when when viewing it as part of the black movie explosion from the 70s, it's actually pretty incredible considering what they were able to pull off. And it's a precursor to uh, movies like Friday, for example, that just are a bunch of crazy characters and weird stuff and happening during the course of the day and with a solid message at the end. Excellent. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's This film takes an interesting journey, and I, that surprised me. And again, that wasn't something I caught when I first saw this when I was younger. But for me, uh, you know, I, re, I watched the same thing. Richard Pryor, you know, George Carlin. Uh, my dad uh, had HBO. And so it, I don't know if anyone remembers mid-late 80s, but in all honesty, that was kind of a heyday for stand-up comedy mm -hmm. um, and, and just comedy in general, but definitely stand-up was, was 
huge. I know it's big now, but there's so much more entertainment out there that I think they get kind of lost. But back then, man, were there some stand-up comics, guys carried over from the 70s and new guys coming out. And I remember Carlin and I remember Richard Pryor just were hilarious. And they were in this film. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it was on cable, obviously, since I was only one when the film first came out. Uh, and I was like, wow, this, this is great. Wait, where's Richard Pryor? And you're looking at the timer. Where's Richard Pryor? Oh, wait, there's George Carlin. Wait, where's Richard Pryor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and I enjoyed it, but I, I was mostly waiting for those two, much like Andrew. So, uh, but revisiting it, re- recognizing all the faces now in here, and then catching the storylines, I... This film is pretty progressive <laughs> in a number of ways, I think. Uh, Andrew, wouldn't you say that for for 70s, hell, even for today, it's a diverse cast, and I think they cover some progressive uh, stuff in here. What about you? I mean, they have so many different um, walks of life within the characters, and typically the movies of the time or this particular genre of the movies, um, you still were in that time where they're like, uh, the great actors were taking whatever work they could get in films simply because white actors were getting all the good roles. And this was kind of, as a result, you have this great library of films that are kind of wild and crazy, but, and cheap, but feature amazing performances. But the, the reason why Car Wash is so different is you have Latinos, you have black, you have white, you have men, you have women, you have young, you have old. And they're all jammed in together. The way that they are able to like never leave any person alone for like way too long. There's a lot of movies today that try and juggle a large cast that don't get this right. And this movie not only gets it right, but it creates conflict in the most interesting ways, in the most unusual ways, to the point where you don't know what you're going to see next. And um, the, 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 the piss bomb scene in particular, <laughs> the way that that happens and then the way that it's resolved and the way that uh, it, 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 the joke runs, you just don't... I think there was no precedent for a film like this, and that's why it's ended up structured the way it is, but it's still really kind of satisfying because one person could watch Car Wash and say... Well, um, nothing happens. And another person can watch Car Wash and say, dude, everything happens. And another person can say, um, a lot of things happen, but it means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, uh, it's, it's just, uh, it depends on the viewer, actually, what you're, what you're kind of tuned into. But I feel like Car Wash is something for everyone, even if you just are in it for the music. You know, it's so much going on. Oh, the soundtrack for this film is amazing. It's almost like a musical. Uh, you know, the, I was paying The one attention. thing I read said that it was originally supposed to be a musical. Was it makes sense? And, and, and the, the, the Richard Pryor sequence, I think, shows, is like the only remnant really of that left, if that was true. Because that is clearly a musical sequence, more so than any other oh, part yeah. of the film. Well, when you yeah, have the point of the song. Yeah, when you have the Pointer Sisters in there, you you need a musical number. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to waste the Pointer Sisters, jeez. Hell, hell no. Uh, and yeah, it does it feel because I was listening to the, uh, as I played at the beginning there, I have the two-record vinyl Car Wash soundtrack here. Ooh. Yeah, and it's in really good condition too, surprisingly. I'm like, oh, wow. So I picked that up immediately when I found it, and I played it, and listening to the words after watching the movie, I'm like, Every all these songs are written to go specifically with the scenes yeah. that they were shown in, which is which is impressive in itself. I'm like that. This is kind of like a musical. I mean, no, you don't have uh, 99% of the actors not singing in in front of the camera, but still at the same time, every tune has to deal with the scene, either the instrumental, obviously, but also the vocal. Yeah, you know, and that that surprised me quite a bit in here in a good way I, I really enjoyed that but it was something I didn't notice before in here um, you know and what I liked about this is we're, we're introduced Franklin Ajay very talented individual uh, we're introduced to TC and when you watch this it's uh, you don't expect them to juggle and get as much screen time for each character as you do uh, in this, wouldn't you say, Doc, in the beginning, you're kind of led to believe, okay, we're going to follow TC, and the other guys are kind of 
uh, you know, just uh, supporting. But we pretty much get everyone's story in here. Yeah, it's there is an expectation because that's how normally these stories are told that you have uh, a hero or you have a main character and then everybody revolves around that character's storyline. This movie does not play out like that. Um, I even just when I was trying to read um, synopsis of the film, they're going, well, this is the main character and I'm, or this is the main storyline. And I read it and going, kind of, but not really. And this one kind of is there. There isn't really a main storyline apart from, as Andrew said, it's the day in the life. Mm -hmm. These people already know each other. So we're not doing the standard conversational high. We're going to catch, you know, the audience up to speed as to what's going on here. Hi, this is how we interact. Well, this is my friend, blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is the guy who does this. It's, it's structured very interestingly in a way where we are just seeing that day start and everyone builds their relationships by how they're conversing about what they did yesterday, what they're going to do today, what they're planning to do tonight, what they're going to do tomorrow. And you see how everybody has already already has this life together and how they interact and how the roles play and who's superior and who's not. And then it lets everything build off of that. It's, it's not something you really see done in film much. And because they're in a, a relatively confined area, it allows for everybody to be on screen more or less at the same time. And then you can focus on these two, or you can focus on these four, on these five. Will have, you know, somebody will have just a throwaway line in a skit or in a scene. And it all makes sense because you're just working. And that's how everything, you know, each little envir- you know, episode of the day gets dealt with and moved on. And, and, and there are things that run through the course of the day, but, um, you know, like TC's, you know, trying to get the tickets to, to take Mona out or like uh, Dwight, I mean, Abdullah's, you know, you know, frustration with his job and things like that. Ah, uh, Mona. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> She's fine. I'm, I'm sorry, I said that out loud. It, it's okay. Uh, played by the t- talented uh, Tracy Reed. Indeed. And, you know, everybody in here, they bring the talent, and no one... One of the things, when you get ensemble casts or big casts like this, there's always that personality that seems to kind of take over whenever there's a scene. But even with Richard Pryor, when he shows up, I never get the feeling in any of these scenes of someone trying to either outdo or shine better than you. Everybody's pretty equal as far as their delivery and and their presence and and how they deliver the scenes you know i mean they all have their own styles and it seems like they bring that to the screen but at the same time no one's trying to you know take over the scene at all like you can see in some of these films uh what about would you say that andrew that everybody kind of uh, respects each other yeah yeah, I mean, and plus they see this, it's the rule of comedy, really, and the rule of, of, of acting, all this. You're just trying to set the other person up to make them look great. Mm-hmm. So it, it would be kind of pointless to uh, for anyone to kind of try, try to chew up or bulldoze the scene. And what's incredible, just from a filmmaking standpoint, is how many times they are able to get a bunch of people in one shot. Mm-hmm. And and what you got to remember is when you have a big shot like that, the people who aren't talking it's a lot about what they're doing and that's all instinct from actors as far as what they're doing in the scene. And so just watching car wash from like a directorial standpoint or filmmaking standpoint, it's amazing how they were able to pull off some of those scenes. Cause you think about how many of the, when you think back to some of the really funny stuff or the really cool stuff that happens, the skateboard scene alone is just like it. You could do it as a silent movie, and it would still like blow you away in terms of what they what they achieve there. Not just like with cinematography, but like you don't think when you think of the movie Car Wash, nobody thinks of it uh, in terms of cinema like this. But I, just being as a director, I that's hard. That's really hard from a performance aspect, but it's really hard to capture that kind of stuff. And just you know, knowing that it, I didn't know that it was going to be a musical, it still kind of seems like that. It mm-hmm. seems like it's a musical. Yeah, it, it seems like it's a musical, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, yeah, we're talking back in the old days, folks. With a you know, you're shooting on film, 
And so you've only got so much film to shoot on. So these these shots take a little bit of planning. And I'm glad you brought that up because what stands up in my mind while watching this again was the scene where Richard Pryor's uh, uh, Daddy Rich, uh, that's his name, right? Or is it? Uh, yeah. 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 Daddy Rich shows up, and you have pretty much the entire cast in shot, plus Daddy Rich. Plus his entourage of the Pointer Sisters, plus you know, I mean, you have pretty much the entire cat, and it's a great shot, and everybody's doing something, even in the background. Mm-hmm. And what caught me was uh, with Daddy Rich, which I, I love that character. We'll, we'll talk about Richard Pryor's character in a minute, but but that scene, what blew me away is they're doing a scene of where uh, the Pointer Sisters start singing, and so they start passing around a hat. And in a scene earlier, Daddy Rich gave a 20 to the shoeshine man, played by, uh, uh, who played him? Damn it. Um, I forgot his name now. But a great actor. Uh, and uh, he, he gave him a 20, and then as they passed around the hat, he puts the 20 back in the hat. Yeah, that's he what gives, I thought. He gives it right back. <laughs> you know, and I thought that was great because his character looked up to Daddy Rich. You know, he he admired him. He followed him. This kind of preacher for uh, what is it? The uh, I had it written down. Ah, the church, the church for... of the Church of Divine Economic Spirituality. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, in all honesty, Richard Pryor is actually kind of playing it straight in here, isn't he, Doc? Um, kind arguably, of, arguably, because he's not in so much that. He's, you could argue he's not really playing it to be funny. He's playing what could be arguably a comedic character. And as a youth, that's how I took it. He's, he's, he's kind of playing with that idea of religion. And, and the character itself I thought was funny, more mm-hmm. so than anything he really does or says. Because what he does and says is very confined and very, very, for for lack of a better word, televangelist, but it's not, you know, it's not quite that style. It's not as overdrawn or overblown like that. It's very much uh, in, in that preacher style that he, he's playing. What kills me watching it now, that's real. And that's <laughs> what blows my mind. Because there are guys, there are preachers out there now saying, God will bless you. And he will give you all this money. And that's how you can tell God has blessed you because you will have all this money and, you, and that's how you're doing it. And I'm thinking, I'm like... Okay, I don't think that's what Jesus said at all. <laughs> but and, and so it, I don't know if that ex- – I'm assuming that existed at the time. As, as a youth, I would not have picked up on that. I wouldn't have been – but now, yeah, that's a real thing. And that, that made it very – this is a you – know, we're saying this is a 40-year-old movie. It, it feels very timely in that regard, in a lot of regards, as Mark's already mentioned. But this one specifically caught me very well like that. He's funny, but it's not because he's doing anything really hilarious. It's it's he's mocking that 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 co- character or that person, so or that style, if you will. He, I think, what caught me this time around is he's not. I guess what I mean is it, playing it straight, as in he wasn't playing Richard Pryor playing oh. someone. Okay, you know, he he's. In this one, Andrew, would you say this one was a little bit different than some of the other roles we've seen where he was more Richard Pryor playing a role, and in this one, I didn't get that feel in a good way. I, it, it felt like he was someone different. Did you get that feeling with him? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Richard Pryor uh, as a comedian was just extremely gifted with characters. I mean, you can listen to uh, Craps After Hours where it starts off of him telling a story about when he was young and the kids are trying to get into these clubs and after hours clubs and stuff. But once they get inside, he takes you through there. And keep in mind, you're not watching this. You're listening to it on a comedy album. He takes you through and he plays every single person and you forget there is one guy acting out all these roles. He immediately inhabits. He knows the characters so well. And the cool thing about Daddy Rich is he, that is one of the few times, I mean, because Which Way Is Up is probably another one of the few times where Richard Pryor got to do, because he plays more than one person in the film. He plays like three mm-hmm. people, I think, maybe four. Um, but like with Daddy Rich, it's, it's, uh, it's showing 
uh, one of the characters that Richard Pryor did, and I'm not sure if he actually wrote the dialogue or not. I'm sure George Carlin wrote his own dialogue <laughs> because that just sounds like Carlin's routines. But with Pryor, I wouldn't be surprised to know that he wrote it because he has a uh, – he does or did rather um, – uh, a lot of satirizing of evangelists to the point where there was preachers in more than one bit that he was making fun of the way they are. And um, as a matter of fact, I think in one, I can't remember what album it is. He said that it was about the, um, it's, I think it's Wino dealing with Dracula or one of the ones about vampires. Oh, I love that. You know, he says, he says they use crosses on vampires because they're allergic to bullshit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, it's it's not a surprise to see him to to see him do that. What I what I wish, and and when you the first thing I thought of when you brought this up was that I wish he would have had a chance to do more character based stuff because he was one of the most gifted. Him and Lenny Bruce are two of the most gifted uh, uh, performers in terms of like just making you forget that you're listening to one person do all the characters. And George Carlin's a great actor, too. I think he started out wanting to be an actor. But, man, Daddy Rich is just tip of the iceberg type stuff. It reminds me of, uh, remember Eddie Murphy in one part in Vampire in Brooklyn, very briefly, showed a little, uh, a lot of his, you know, he always showed a Richard Pryor influence. But do you remember when he changes into the preacher for that one scene? Mm-hmm. It's very, yeah. very Daddy Rich, that scene. Yeah, that 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 does is reminiscent of of Daddy Rich in that scene. That's that's a great movie as well. Uh, yeah, you know, and it it just caught me that it it he is a great character actor, but most of the movies I think he got cast, everybody wanted Richard Pryor. You know, yeah, and they and could maybe, afford the insurance. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's just say he did recognize, you know, his uh, his. Uh, some of his uh, setbacks, and uh, he's the reason why we got Cleavon Little for Blazing Saddles. So, oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, he because he called. He yeah, uh, just as an right. aside note, he called Mel Brooks. I think it was like a few days before they were supposed to shoot, and he said he was in a town, I think Detroit or Chicago or something, from L.A. He got there. He didn't know how he got there. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be in for the shoot, if I remember the story correctly. And and so they, they went with Cleavon Little. Uh, and, you know, I think Cleavon Little was perfect in that role. And in this role, the casting was really good, really diverse. Um, but, you know, I mentioned how it's progressive because what we got, uh, you know, we even have a, was it a cross-dresser in here. Uh, who oh, was hoping <laughs> Antonio Fargus, was also known as Huggy Bear, <laughs> playing a homosexual in Car Wash. <laughs> I, I love this character. Uh, Andrew, what would you think of, of, of this character? I mean, it's kind of surprising to see not this type of character, but in the role that character is in pretty much an equal. Everybody kind of has accepted that character, which I I found very refreshing. I mean, it is, but it is, but it isn't. I mean, mm-hmm. like the flamboyant gay character. Oh yeah. There's just you know, it's it's one of the things about Car Wash that you watch it now and go like, man, you know, they wouldn't they sh- they wouldn't do this now. It's it's a little too you know, because he's being like the things that. He's he's being like a caricature of a of a flamboyant character, you know. Like he's smacking people on the butt and constantly making sexual jokes, and he's not like super predatory, but minor predatory in some of the parts. They do give him equal footing, though, and I mean that's cool. And you know, um, Antonio Fargas is an incredible actor, and to get a role like this and just really kick ass in it, like he did, um, he's got such an expressive face. I don't have a Necessarily have a problem with with the character, but I don't. I wouldn't. I probably. I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't say this one with the progressive aspects of it, just because of the no. portrayal. But it is, you know, it is of the of the time, so you got to kind of think of it that way. But he's, you know, he's not. Um, I don't think he's demonized or anything, but he's definitely, he's definitely a caricature. I guess I was approaching it more as the fact of his character that was treated equal mm-hmm. among the group not so much oh, absolutely you know yeah he is he he is the the embodiment of, of a lot of the stereotypes but at the same time the crew never you know it never feels like they they're really they're not you know, down on him because of that they're they're messing no no because of just whatever they're messing with him for at that moment but 
Yeah, it's, it's not really frequent that it comes up like it's that they even really think about it. It seems they, like they all give each other shit. All yeah, time. so yeah. He, he's equally giving shit in yeah. that regard too. Well, it felt like a real workplace. I mean, the, you know, yeah. the, cr- the crap they gave him. I mean, you got uh, the two guys who are uh, got Floyd and Lloyd. Who have musical aspirations? Who people they give them a hard time, you know. On deep down, you know they're kind of supporting them, but at the same time they're giving them shit, <laughs> you know, for their routine. Yeah. Um, it, you know the the only person who's kind of the, uh, which like I said, I I didn't remember a whole lot as a kid and watching it again. The uh, kind of interesting character was Bill Dukes Abdullah. Oh yeah. You know he. It's interesting to see how he he brings probably the main conflict in in almost not in every relationship in this uh, show, but you know he brings up questions to each and every one, even to Daddy Rich, which which kind of surprised you know I think people get the wrong impression about this film because of the cast, unfortunately, but it, this film in no way is feels like it's picking on any one type of character, either race or, you know, type of... Per- it's just that day in the life. I mean, these characters, some of them are caricatures, but, you know, I never felt like it was mean-spirited or, or severely picking on one person or the other. Did you, Doc? I I know you just said... That was one of the things I actually, you know, thought more of this time, is that how easily some of these characters could be more caricatured mm-hmm. and, and, and how they're quickly drawn. So we understand them at the beginning caricaturizes some of them. A lot of them get to progress very subtly beyond that. And admittedly, because just of screen time in it, there are certain ones that, that don't, but you know, mm-hmm. just from timing um, or just the way that the film was cut or edited for consumption back in the day. I, from what little I've looked, it looks like the TV version is significantly different and has characters in it that aren't present in the theatrical uh, version that we still get to see. So from that perspective, it may have drawn in some of those characters differently or or added a little more spice to them that it could have done. But a lot of, a lot of the characters could just be, you know, he's the jolly fat guy or he's the, you know, he's the Latin guy. So he's going to, and they most, by and large, most of them just come across as people. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I, one of the things I liked the most watching at this time is gone. I can kind of recognize that guy. I can kind of recognize that guy. I think I worked with that guy a little bit or, you know, these, it, it, it seemed, they seem very natural in a lot of their reactions to each other. Are, are some of them still characters just because of timing? Certainly, you know, they, they just don't have time to be developed, but you get, the feeling that they have a life and they have something else going on. We're just not getting a chance to really see that. Yeah. I mean, even, even the owner who, who's the Jewish white guy, right. Who, who's the owner who, you know, and his son, who is a uh, Leo Sayer. He looks so much like Leo <laughs> Sayer. Like like Leo. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, is it communism? He was looking at. Yeah. Chinese yeah. communism. Mao Zedong. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. little got... red book. He's he's carrying around Mao's little red book and reading from it the whole movie, and then smoking pot, <laughs> <laughs> which which is a, I don't think Mao was into that. I think that was a little more Rastafarian, but I could be wrong. I, I wasn't. Uh, I was two when this movie came out, so you know. Yeah. But but they really try to cover just about everybody in here. I mean, down to the right. uh, down to the secretary who's having the affair with the owner. Yeah. It, yeah, then, no, that's why I say everybody's got that little bit of something where you, you draw in and you can see how their life is. And in some cases, just how miserable their day-to-day existence is and how this, you know, how they interact at work is probably to some degree what makes that tolerable. That's kind of the message I got from it is that you know, work can suck. <laughs> and, you know, it's it, if you can at least enjoy your work to some degree, it's not the worst thing in the world. Right. There are uh, worse things uh, in the world. You got guys that might have the clap. You got, you know, 
girls, you know, might be getting a date, you know, you might get a little bit of success occasionally. Your boss may agree to actually talk to you about something that you've been talking about for a while, and maybe, maybe he'll actually do it this time, but it's those minor little victories that can sometimes be the only thing that'll keep you going to the next day. Yeah, you know, or, you know, that promise of a date with Tim Thomerson. Uh, <laughs> Jack Death. Hi. <laughs> Ken, excuse me, he, he yeah. shows up in here, which surprised me. I was like, hey, I know that face. Right. <laughs> For like two seconds, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. But, yeah, it's just, it, looking at it now through through older eyes and just catching everything that's going on in here. And, uh yeah, Andrew, I think mentioned it, may have uh, mentioned it, but as the characters move along, uh, the tone changes, but it changes gradually as we do learn about these characters, doesn't it, uh, Andrew? It starts off funny and haha, we get kind of the stereotypes, but as it moves along, it kind of gets a, not a little darker and a little deeper, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's why I say it's a precursor to movies like Friday. In fact, if Friday used the car wash template. Um, as, as far as just lumping in a bunch of crazy people and crazy instances in the span of one day in a small setting. Um, and Friday, of course, a classic now, um, you know, has a, has a great thing about violence at the end of it. And, yeah. um, and it also uses I Want to Get Next to You from Car Wash. And every time Miss Parker shows up, you know, they play that. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's yeah. awesome. Thank yeah. you for connecting that for and, me. And so, um, but Bill Duke, here's here's what's another thing that I find is amazing about Car Wash is that, like, because it was shot in an actual Car Wash, they had to loop almost every single line of dialogue. And sometimes it w- is really obvious. Most times it's really obvious. But sometimes it's not. But the scene at the end... With uh, with Bill Duke, where he comes to to rob the guy, and uh, who is his friend, who has he's been hanging out with his children earlier. Um, it is extremely powerful, but it's not super messagey like a lot of movies are today that try to do something similar. You know, you watch like the Last Barbershop movie, if as a good example, just does not know how to balance this out. Um, Bill Duke. Who again? Who they both of these guys have looped their lines here. Duke chooses to get his voice almost completely a whisper. It is a whisper in some parts of it. He's an awesome actor, and it's no wonder he went along uh, went on to be a great director too. You know, I don't know if you guys like the movie American Gigolo or not, but I think it was like had to have been like right after Car Wash that he did the gay pimp in, in American Gigolo. The guy was just doing some next level stuff right there. No one that watches car wash and makes it to the scene there in the office because he gets the gun from him and he hugs him. It's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Oh, yeah, that scene just caught me. I mean, it had such a powerful scene, especially because that's uh, the Lonnie character played by Ivan Dixon, right? Is that, yeah. 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 yeah and, Lonnie and and he, yeah. He's the ex con who's got that history and I think I think the director does it on purpose. They kind of lean you towards questioning what exactly is going to happen in that scene. You've got the money there. You've got you know Lonnie the ex-con as they set him up, and you got Abdullah. You're like, is he gonna help him? Is he gonna hand him some of the cash? Are they gonna, you know? It, it, I love the tension in that scene because you're watching this, and it it it, it reminded me. And I'm wondering if Kevin Smith was influenced by it later on, the original ending to Clerks. Oh, I was man. just thinking that, dude. It was. I didn't think of it then, but I thought as we started to talk about it, I thought of the, you know Dante gets yeah, yeah. You know, it it had kind of that feel when I watched Clerks with the original ending, and you know, I go back and we watch this. I'm like, it's got that kind of, wow. You know, we got a snappy soundtrack and you know at the end of the day yeah life some, is a series of dark endings you know and then we get this very kind of dark and poignant moment and then you know Lonnie convinces Abdullah to put the gun down and, and hugs him and I'm just like damn and then you've got uh I, I don't know if they ever say her name but Marlene or whatever the 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 the, the prostitute yeah. yeah she writes the, it on the mirror in lipstick yeah, the sheer loneliness of of her at the end too, just the. But but her watching it from the window. Yeah. You know, it made me realize. I'm like, holy 
crap, most of this film is told from her perspective. It is. Yeah. <laughs> she she's actually the eyes of the the audience for most of this film because she's usually in the background of the key scenes. When Daddy Rich is there, she's actually talking to him in the background when uh, the Pointer Sisters are singing to Abdullah. You know, she sees that final scene in the movie. Uh, you know, she's at the pinball when uh, the, uh, you know, uh, Hippo character yeah. uh, gives yeah. up his, his radio. I mean, she she's there. At, at almost all the key points, and it and it just caught me. And then it, but that scene, it's so. Well She's the Jay and Silent Bob of the film, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I'm I. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, would you say that it's told from uh, somewhat from her perspective? Yeah, no, exactly, and that's a that's a very astute observation, man. Because you know her character doesn't really say anything, and um, she is. You know, she basically just kind of takes up residence at the car wash. She she makes her uh, makes her base of operations in the women's bathroom, which is one of my favorite sequences in the film. Is the boy that's throwing up? <laughs> yeah. And the and the uh, and the really nice car and the mod. That's that scene is Beverly so Hills. great. Yeah. The, the, the Beverly Hills hysterical mob, and then they're sitting there discussing. Uh, no, that's in the paint. No, it's not. It's like that. That's in the paint. You've got yeah. some. In the paint. <laughs> and he ends up spewing all over anyway, so yes. she drives off. It's so freaking funny. The movie, oh, yeah, I mean, has dog shit, vomit, hookers. Yeah. I mean, it's got all my favorite stuff. <laughs> Not enough farts, though. Uh, Not enough farts. Well, yeah, because you even had the character who thought of himself a little bit above the other workers because... I don't get wet. I don't get wet. I do the wax. <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, oh, man, you know, just... Just visiting this movie again, I was glad we did because there's so much going on with it. And few movies are able to juggle, I think, the topics and this many characters as well as this film does. I mean, even George Carlin's character, he's almost in there the, the, as the comic relief, the most comic relief, looking for the tall, blonde, black girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's like so close to her the whole entire time. He has probably as much screen time as Richard Pryor if you like add them all up. Yeah. Just yeah. you know, cut up throughout the course of the film a little bit more, so it's not all at once. They shouldn't have put them both on the poster so big. No, well, still, uh, still mad about that. At least according to what I've read, I don't have a copy of the TV print, so I don't know for sure. But supposedly, some of the scenes that were added back in for the TV version take place in the the hot dog stand that's on the other side of the lot, mm. and it's run by Danny DeVito. Ooh. So Danny DeVito's kind of in this film too, and I'm like, well, there, put him on it. <laughs> he, he was right before he was, you know, on Taxi, and, and he was in his own way. It's not really the normal way you talk about Danny DeVito. <laughs> Sorry, Danny DeVito. You have a humongous personality, sir. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I thought it was it was well written. This script, uh, you know, uh, Joel Schumacher, yeah, he, he may have <clears throat> not done well with Batman, but on the whole, I mean, it surprised me that his name was on this, in all honesty, because I totally forgot it. I'm like, holy crap. And then at, at the end of the movie, I'm like, wait, Joel Schumacher wrote this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, he wrote I... Sparkle, The Wiz, DC Cab. Sh yeah. Schumacher put in some work, man, around that time. Well, again, approaching it from the fact that I, I had the bad taste of, of Batman and Robin in my mouth, but I do remember, you know, I enjoyed Flatliners. Falling I enjoyed down, you like falling down. Falling down, I thought was fantastic. You know, Lost Boys. I mean, you just you forget know. he's, you know, you forget, you know, the history goes back this far sometimes. That's all. Yeah, he's just done a lot of stuff, man. Trying yeah. to survive in the biz. Oh, no, I, and I understand. It just, you know, I, I like all of his other stuff. I think Batman and Robin and Batman Forever are the two films, only two things I really don't like of his. <laughs> well, maybe next time you watch Batman and Robin, think about how he handled the multiple characters in a superhero movie versus how he handled them as a screenwriter for a car wash. If if I ever drink enough Not Your Father's Root Beers to get up the... <laughs> The gumption to watch <laughs> Batman and Robin again? I, I think I will. Oh, I there we go. So. There we go. We can do a live commentary for that. 
Get get a bunch of people in a room together. We'll tie you to a chair and feed you some alcohol on your birthday or something like that. Make it a party. The only time I I rewatched that film was to see if it was true what I read on the internet about every single one of Arnold's what thirty two comments is a, is a one liner. Yeah. <laughs> and did you hear Master um, Radio Z's uh, Killing Joke episode? Uh, I did. I, I did listen to that. Yeah. I was gonna say at the end, I did yes. the the jazz reading of uh, Mr. Freeze's lines. Yes, I I loved that. That, <laughs> that was that was very entertaining. Thanks, Holly. Yeah, check out Astro Radio Z, Killing Joke, as well as all their other podcasts. Great show there. Uh, as far as our show here, uh, yeah, uh, Andrew, is there anything that we haven't touched on with the car wash that you maybe want to talk about about it at all? Uh, no, I mean that was you. There's so many really perceptive things on it, and you 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 pulled out some more conversation than I thought we'd actually have on the movie. I just had uh, a couple of things that I picked up when I was reading some trivia at work earlier. The guy that played Geronimo died in 1983 and under mysterious circumstances. Oh was, no! Yeah, Ray Vitti. He was going. Uh, he was only like 33 years old. He was he was uh, ranting and raving at some hotel, and the cops were called. And uh, they ended up there was some kind of a scuffle with them. They had to they had to mace him and all this stuff. And they put him in the back of the car. And when he got out, uh, he uh, I mean, think he hit his head on the concrete or something. Anyway, he couldn't they couldn't be revived. He died in police custody. Oh kind man, of, kind of crazy. But uh, that was the gentleman with the cat ear hat, right? Uh, no, no, no. Geronimo's no. the guy. He's got like really crazy kind of hair. Um, he's got like I don't know. It almost looked like I don't know. Like uh, it's hard to describe. He was pretty much the tallest guy. Okay. No, that's, no that that's or, that, oh that was that's a different guy. Yeah, there's I'm so many characters. There's so many characters in this. Yeah, film. You think no, it's not, street now. No, you think he'd be the the, the Native American looking guy, but it's a different guy. Um, <laughs> the uh, Michael Schultz's filmography also. I think he directed um, Richard Pryor in more movies than anyone else managed to. Because um, mm-hmm. he he did. Uh, he did uh, Grease Lightning, Which Way Is Up, and Bustin' Loose with him. And Bustin' Loose is my favorite Richard Pryor movie, and I think um, I think that's the one that broke uh, Michael Schultz from directing Richard Pryor because he he didn't I don't think finish the movie with them. It was that's the movie where Richard Pryor burnt up. Yeah. Oh. While yeah. he was making the movie, it's an awesome film um, and d- deserving of its own, its own. I keep saying we should do a whole podcast about, but, but it's you could probably group them together. But Bustin' Loose was the last one he did with him, but he directed The Last Dragon, I think. Yeah, I love that movie. And Barry Dis- Gordy's The Last Dragon. Say it right. Yeah, and I, I think he did Disorderlies also with the Fat Boys. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness! Oh dear. I'm woefully underprepared, but I think oh. he, I think he just had a really great run in the the mid to late seventies and uh, in the or on into the eighties as a director. But uh, and, and he's still directing. He's directing episodes of Arrow. Oh, there uh, you excellent. go. Huh? Really cool. He, cool. he directed uh, four episodes of Blackish, one of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, he's done a lot of TV stuff. It looks like a c- few episodes of Chuck. Um, yeah, he's he's done a lot of direction. Everwood, he did, directed. It looks like almost a full uh, sixteen episodes of Everwood. Uh, yeah, he's done a lot of TV. It looks like he he kind of moved away from film. And went to TV. He did live in large, and he did a TV movie, Dale. But it looks like the last movie was Live in Large. Um, and he did, yes, you're right. He did do Disorderlies. Dude, yeah, you know, if he's still around, he needs to cut some commentaries for all these movies, man. He's in uh, the Omit the Logic, the Richard Pryor, the most recent Richard Pryor documentary. And he okay. does talk, kind of talk about the Bust and Loose experience. But like, the, yeah, the only other things I wanted to mention, we didn't. Uh, we didn't touch on the fact that uh, Garrett Morris, original Saturday Night Live, not ready for yes. front time player, Garrett Morris has a role in the film. And uh, also, I should say that uh, my crush was uh, Marsha, the secretary. Oh, I yes. I, I don't Understandable. Know I don't know her name, but I love that yellow shirt. Melanie M- Mayron yeah. is yeah. her name. That shirt fit her really good. <laughs> and she is uh, still acting today in Jane the Virgin. Uh, that. She's I had to look her up too, because I I was wondering what she was up to. Yeah, she oh she was yeah that's why I recognized her thirty uh, something. My mom used to watch that constantly. Oh, man, that's a deep cut from the eighties. <laughs> now yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I know Time my too, but now yeah. <laughs> my 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 mom watched that a lot, uh, but she's director. She's 
been yeah. directing Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, Jane the Virgin, a lot of TV as well. Cool. So, yeah, she's still very active. Man, her and Schultz need to get on that commentary, man. Oh, that would be that we would need be to cool. we need a super deluxe Blu-ray set with the the TV, you right. know, so you can see the TV version cut together with Danny DeVito. And hey, Criterion listens to me sometimes, man. They did a Multiple Maniacs after I talked about. Oh it man, Derek. I cannot wait for that. <laughs> I talked about it on Derek's show. He asked yeah, me it happened. Mark's brother's it. set got announced today. That's all cleaned up finally on Blu-ray. So. Yeah, then this, it happened. Car wash is next. Car wash is next. I'm waiting for that. Come now. on, Criterion. Car well, wash the, needs to Criterion be. Criterion announced today, like November today. It's the I think the thing I got out of that was the Lone Wolf and Cub set. But yeah, be. Amazon had that priced wrong for pre-order, so I got it for forty bucks. Oh, son of a. Okay. And. <laughs> <laughs> What gets me is I, I forgot because growing up in the 80s, you know, how far back the Pointer Sisters actually went. Yeah. You know, uh, because perspective as a kid, love the Pointer Sisters, love their music, but you only have that perspective of when you remember them. And I only remember them in the 80s. And, you know, to see them pop up in this, it was like, it was cool because mm-hmm. I, I love their voices and their music. And uh, to see them in here was just kind of cool. I was like, oh, Pointer Sisters, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, Doc, how about you? Anything we didn't touch on you might want to talk about with uh, Car Wash, or have we covered it for you? Um, Yeah, the only reason I brought up the guy with the cat ears before, too, is just because that seemed very now, too. (laughs) The (laughs) idea of somebody wearing a hat like that. just Again, it's that weird moment where you go, okay, this is 40 years ago, and there are certain certain aspects of it that seem still appropriate or timely today but so it's not completely just this image of the past even though it is and that's one of the joys of watching older cinema like this to me you know that's why a lot of the 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 smaller the exploitation the indie films are more interesting because they're not shot on a, a stage necessarily or a sound stage this was just this appears to mostly been shot at this car wash on a corner somewhere, and it shows you this little section of, I think that was L.A. So you, you get to see how things were and how different they are in some ways and how very much the same things are 40 years on or, you know, depending on the movie you're watching 50 years on or 30 years on. You can kind of compare and contrast and go, you know what? We don't throw as much crap in the streets as we used to. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is very true. Unless people smoke, that's probably also very much a good thing. A lot of cigars in this film. <laughs> Whole lot of cigars in this film. Oh, green, dude, dude, green you know cigars. I, you know, I didn't mention the wash, the movie from two thousand one. Oh, go okay. Ahead. So okay, so so in two thousand one, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg make a film called The Wash. It's directed by DJ Pooh, the guy that wrote Friday, and also directed Three Strikes. Um, that's actually a really awesome movie. They kind of take the same, a similar framework and uh, a lot of really funny characters and stuff. There's a kidnapping. Bruce Bruce plays the security guard. I mean, it's got a lot of really good people in it, and they use uh, hip-hop music, tons of stuff. Ludacris is in the movie. Um, who else is in it? Uh, Tiny Lister, Zeus, Eminem is a terrorist in it. Um, it uh, Tommy Chong's in it. Um, Exhibit is in it. It's like you know, of course, of the time or whatever. But this was their, um, I guess, their way of trying to do a hip hop version of of the Car Wash. It's just called the Wash, but it's a great movie. Like I really is it, is it kind of a remake slash sequel type thing, or is it just similarly set? And no, it's it's just this just the the basic just template. The concept. Okay, yeah, it's not a remake. No, because I remember faintly remember when I came out and going, they remade Car Wash, or they remade Car and. If it if you're saying it's it, it's entertaining, I believe you. Yeah, and yeah, I need no, to probably you, watch it. If you like Friday, you'll like it. I do. I do a lot. I even like next Friday. Oh god. Kind of like Friday after next, but not that's, so much. Mostly yeah, just Friday. Friday after next is what we decorate our Christmas tree to every year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, when you go from Chris Tucker to Mike Epps, no offense to Mike Epps, but it's 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 not this the same. See, I'm the opposite. I think Mike Epps is like the funniest guy. Alive right now. He's playing Richard Pryor in the Richard Pryor biopic. He already played it. Really? Yeah. How did I miss out on that? He played him already once in the Bessie Smith movie that uh, Queen Latifah made last year. Holy Um, cats! He is the one playing Richard Pryor. Okay. 
I'm Which intrigued. that uh, Bessie Smith soundtrack's awesome. Yes, um, yes. Huh. Uh, so I think, uh, speaking of soundtracks, yes, let's not forget the Geffen Records uh, Car Wash. The soundtrack is fantastic in here, so you make sure you check that out, folks. And now I think we're going to wrap it up for the evening. This is where these fine gentlemen can pimp their stuff. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. Why don't you tell us where they can reach you at? Oh, man. First, I want to say thank you for having me on here, man. This has been a great discussion, and thanks for picking Car Wash. This is really good idea. I think most people know the song more than they do the movie, so maybe this will like inspire some people to check it out. Um, for me, uh, if anybody wants to watch the movies my friends and I make, um, you can go to YouTube and search Gonzorific. Tons of short films on there. We've been around for about 15 years making movies, so there's new and old. You can go, you could spend a good evening or two going through all this stuff, but um, if you want to spend a little money with us, um, you can rent some of our movies on Amazon On Demand. There is Fake Blood, Mondo Gonzo, Pajama Nightmare, and The Underground Cinema, and the newest one, Late Night Cable. There's some on Prime, May of the Dead, and um, Very Scary. So if you like lesbians and ghosts and zombies and stuff like that uh, for your, your, your prime consumption. And uh, if you're really cool, go to www.gonzorific.com and buy some of our DVDs, such as Dr. Humpenstein's Erotic Castle, Dollface, and uh, I think we still got Erotic Couch on there, the old favorite. So Nice. And uh, Doctavius? I agree. Also, go and buy movies that, that Andrew has made, because Dr. Humpenstein's Erotic Castle, or I forgot the title now. Damn it. Sorry. I like that movie. It was fun. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. <laughs> the, the local video store, like, Lost. They said somebody didn't return the copy, and we had a really funny run-in with the with the video store. We stopped, and we were making a movie uh, nearby, and I just stopped <laughs> to see if like my movies had been rented out, you know. And uh, the girl I was with was in like zombie vampire makeup, so they just kind of knew who we were. <laughs> So, well, that seems like a compliment that somebody would not bring back your film. It's like, we kind of like, we're just not going to pretend we're going to just keep this one here. Yeah, exactly, man. I was very flattered by that. I'm going to bring you another one, but I was like, uh, hey, of course it's that one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for that distraction, but yes, um, if you want to, the, the primary thing that I get to do on a regular basis is is uh, Boozy Bard's production of Shakespeare Raw, which is, Generally speaking, the second week of most months throughout the course of the year, uh, we're reconvening again, September 12th through the 14th to do Measure for Measure. As I as I mentioned uh, recently, I got to play. We did uh, Winter's Tale. I got to be Hermione, and then the day after that recording, I was a uh, a servant and quote unquote clown who was the son of a shepherd. So the shepherd and I decided we were going to be Yiddish, and we did it like that because it actually worked. And that's usually how it works out. It's it's we pull names out of a hat at the beginning of the show. That gives us our character, and we go find a binder that's highlighted with the those that character's lines, and we very quickly try and do some acting. So it's one part improv, one part reading, and a lot of acting. And and there may be some beer, there might be some bourbon, there might be some whiskey. It depends on the individual's tastes. But there will be some drinking involved, and the audience is encouraged to do so and heckle. If they <laughs> if they if if they say something, they may get something said back to them. We're, we're, we don't mind in that regard; it's okay. Um, so that's the primary thing that I'll be doing next, as far as I can tell from my schedule. And Professor Thomas Tennant on the Facebook will hopefully occasionally tell you what I'm up to next. Fantastic. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us on this conversation. Uh, it was great revisiting this classic, and I think more people need to give it a view because it, it does. There are a lot of things here that still could apply to today, and even a lot of the jokes in here uh, could still apply for today. You know, they aren't just cultural pop references from the 70s. So uh, thank you so much for taking this journey with me. Uh, gentlemen, you can find all my stuff on SpecialMarkProductions.com, the one-stop shop for all your movie man needs. Also, if you want to get in contact with us, please do email us at SpoilerRoom.SMP at gmail.com or tweet us at SpoilerRoomPDCS. Uh, we are there or at MovieManiac3D. Tweet me there as well if you got an idea for a show. Please, if on iTunes, rate us, comment. Love to hear your feedback, good or bad. It does help us out. 
Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you, listeners. As always, remember in the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies. Say goodnight, gentlemen. Goodnight, gentlemen. Good night, gentlemen. <laughs> <the> spoiler room. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, in the spoiler room. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs>